This podcast is brought to you by the Maryland State Library Agency. The MSLA podcast features presenters from statewide youth programs, as well as learning opportunities for library staff and resources for patrons of the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. Hey everyone, it's Ashley back with another LBPD guest hour. I'm so excited because we have one of my favorite organizations on the line today, Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland. And we have two guests. We have Bill Fitzgerald, who is the Senior Vice President of Organization Advancement. And we have Margo Caruzzi, the Senior Director of More Than a Meal Service. Bill joined Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland in 2018. His responsibilities include raising about one and a half million, that's million with an M, annual in government, foundation, and corporate grants, and personally delivering meals to clients when there's a need for volunteers. His experience in development in the nonprofit sector includes two years as the Director of Development for the Campaign for Our Children and more than a decade in higher education at Johns Hopkins and George Washington University. Margot has been with Meals on Wheels since 2015. She has over 10 years experience working in the nonprofit field in Maryland. Her work at Meals on Wheels looks at the entire client population based on social and health determinants which support additional services to assist our most at-risk clients and a safe and independent, to stay safe and independent in their homes. Did I get all that? Because that's a lot. I think you got it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did. I mean, you guys could have gone anywhere with this experience. What brought you to Meals on Wheels? That's a great question. Uh, I came to Meals on Wheels five years ago and was really attracted by, by the mission and the sort of close to the ground direct impact what you mentioned when you introduced me about occasionally delivering meals. Uh, it's something I try to do. It's not part of my job description, uh, but everyone here does it every now and then. And if I can, I get out at least once a month and deliver a bunch of meals to clients. It just connects you directly with the work you're doing. So if I'm writing a grant and I'm talking about, uh, you know, how many people we feed and the kind of uh, impact we have on community and population health and these broader across multiple counties uh, outcomes, it's fully reinforced by the act of knocking on someone's door and handing them a meal uh, that's ready for them to eat and you know, getting that, that response of, of gratitude uh, and seeing it, it happen. You know, it, it's, it's an essential. Uh, and so to, you know, to come from a, come from a family where, uh, you know, good food was appreciated um, and understanding the importance of that, to come to an organization that can deliver that to, to so many people and have such an impact. Uh, certainly that is what attracted me uh, five years ago. Very well said. So uh, my evolution was a, a little bit unique. I started as a part-time employee while I was doing some other work. So I wasn't even necessarily looking for uh, a full-time job. Uh, everything that that Bill said is is exactly what I saw um, right away when I started working there. And so I saw the impact and I saw the impact of the food and I saw that personal connection delivered many, many meals myself in the beginning, um, as Bill talked about too. But the thing that really impacted me is how much more Meals on Wheels does. Um, and so that's really what appealed to me. I knew I, I did know I wanted to work in the nonprofit world, but I really decided to apply for a full-time position 
when I saw the the breadth of what we do, and that I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on more later, um, and and the the wide impact that we had with nutrition and even beyond. It's kind of how I feel about my job, <laughs> you know. So I, I can totally relate to that, and I think a lot of our patrons can too. They're um, all drawn to a lot of individuals are drawn to uh, working within the community and 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 going for something better. So that's pretty awesome. Well, it's time for nitty gritty. So tell me, what exactly is Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland? Because I know Meals on Wheels like, oh, that's the food service. But what is it really? Sure, I'll start. I'm sure Margo will jump in. Uh, Meals on Wheels is a highly recognized brand. Before I came here, I probably had a simple understanding of what most people have that Meals on Wheels uh, in some way or another provides food for people who can't uh, access it for themselves. But Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland does a lot more than that. And, and, and a lot of Meals on Wheels organizations do a lot more than that. So it's a well-known brand, but the activities, and as Margaret said, the depth and breadth of the impact are, are not well understood. Uh, Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland actually started in 1960. Uh, there were two women in the community, uh, Ernestine McCollum and Beatrice Strauss, who thought that it would be helpful for their neighbors who could not access food, who were homebound, um, to be provided with food. And so it started October 3rd, 1960, 10 meals delivered to neighbors of uh, Ernestine McCollum and Beatrice Strauss. Uh, and it's actually based on a program that started in uh, the United Kingdom, in London, during the Blitz during World War II came to America initially in Philadelphia, I'm not sure exactly when, but started here, as I said, in 1960. Uh, since 1960, we've grown. Um, today, we are the largest Meals on Wheels organization in the state of Maryland, and we're one of the largest uh, Meals on Wheels organizations in the country. There is a national organization called Meals on Wheels America, and we're a member of that. But membership um, can vary from a, a church group that's packing sandwiches for delivery uh, after services, um, to something, an organization like what we do, which is every day uh, we deliver meals to 2,300 clients uh, in their homes. Uh, it's a hot meal and a cold meal, so they can eat the hot meal right away and they can have the cold meal later. And that's a daily service, so that over the course of a year, we deliver more than 1 million uh, meals to the homes of clients. In addition to that, we work with uh, senior centers and other private clients that do group meals for seniors. We call that our congregate meal program. And that comes in at close to another 500,000 meals. Uh, so it, the volume is much greater than sandwiches in the church basement. And the geographic coverage is, is extensive as well. We're in Baltimore City and all the surrounding counties, Anne Arundel, Baltimore, Carroll, Hartford, Howard. Uh, and then we get down to Prince George's and Montgomery County for some coverage as well. So in order to do that, we have to have a lot of volunteers. We have more than 2,000 and nearly 3,000 volunteers who help us um, with those deliveries. So every day those meals go out. And one of the great things um, that I love about coming to our Haven Street location in Baltimore City is we have about 40 vans that have our logo, and that's where the meals start. They come from here. And to see that convoy go out every morning and understand what's in those vehicles and who it's going to is really when you talked earlier about you know why do you why do you work in a place like this? That's one of those moments for me that really really is invigorating. But the meals um, are what most people know, uh, but they are only part of what we do. And 
we are known for our copyrighted phrase, more than a meal, which, as you said, uh, is part of Margot's title. So I'll, I'll let Margot jump in, if that's all right, and tell you a little bit about after or, or what is what, what we do that's more than a meal. Yeah, I can definitely do that, Bill. Uh, so I, I would go back to our mission. So I, I think what Bill said is exactly right. So many people have heard of Meals on Wheels. Uh, but it can it can look many different ways throughout the country. Our mission is to enable people to remain living independently. And that's through the provision of nutritious meals. So that's the part that, that, that we talked about, that daily meal delivery, personal contact. So we can't talk enough about that. So that is the meals are handed to the clients by a person. That's oftentimes a volunteer. Um, that can be a staff person or a driver who's in one of those vans that Bill mentioned. But that personal contact is what leads to so much more of what we do. Um, it could be because of a friendly conversation. It could also be because we know that client needs additional services. And so that's part of our mission too, related services. So what are the other things besides nutrition that that individual may need to remain living safely and independently. And, and that can be many things. You know, nutrition is tremendously helpful towards that. Uh, but the reason we have more than a meal services is to cover some of those other areas. So uh, to go through some of them, we have our grocery assistance program, our GAP program. So that is matching a volunteer with a client to do their additional grocery shopping. So they may need groceries beyond the meals. Um, it does really uh, important things like offers opportunity for prescription pickup, toiletries. So there's other things that might not be covered by the meals. We have our Kibble Connection program. So that's a very popular one. That's our pet food delivery. Um, everyone gets very excited talking about this, as do I. So that is, again, a, a volunteer matched with clients. It is a partnership with the Maryland SPCA, very grateful to them. And we're able to provide food for clients um, with cats and dogs. That evolved because, uh, for two reasons, really, we know that how important pets are for individuals who might be homebound, might have difficulty getting outside to shop or cook for themselves. They're so important for their companionship, for, for so much more. And so we want to be able to take care of that pet as well. Also, if an individual is having difficulty feeding their pet, they might be sharing their food with that pet. So we know that the client's able to eat their meal themselves when we know, they know that their pet is fed and taken care of. So that's a great one we're, we're really proud of. We also have a program called Call Connections that is a friendly calling program where a volunteer calls a client to check in. So that's all over the phone, um, a really great opportunity for uh, volunteers um, who like a little bit more flexibility and, and like working on, on the phone instead of in person. And the idea is to reduce isolation. And so we had a smaller version of the program before the pandemic started. And then when that happened, we really wanted to make sure that our clients were safe and that they were being checked in on. And so the program really, really grew tremendously. Uh, and so we have, you know, hundreds of clients now who've received that service. And it's really valuable just for building those deeper connections. And sometimes there's a lot more opportunity for a longer conversation on the phone 
than there would be when you're delivering the meal, when maybe the client wants to eat that hot meal. So they might not want to stand there that long, but they can talk a lot longer over the phone. So there's some really valuable relationships built there. And we also work with a few different home repair programs. So we're able to provide modifications and repairs to pe for people to, again, keep them safe in their home. We work with, in Baltimore City, the program Housing Upgrades Benefiting Seniors. And we also work with the Home Depot Foundation on helping homebound heroes, which helps provide home modifications for veterans throughout Maryland. So that can be a range of things from a grab bar to keep them safe stepping into the shower all the way to larger repairs, even things like, you know, replacing their roof um, to keep them safe in their home. Um, a couple other things, we do have a um, food delivery program called My Groceries to Go, um, and that is a once a month food box delivery. So again, that's, it's a nutrition program, but it's a variation of it that might offer a little bit more flexibility if they, um, if they aren't home every day to receive those daily meals something like that once a month box might work a little better for them. We also do um, SNAP applications, food stamp applications um, directly for clients. We are, we are credentialed to do those screenings on their behalf, um, which is great not only in terms of client receiving their benefits, but clients who might not have been able to successfully submit that application themselves if it weren't for our assistance. And then finally, we do have case management. So clients who are at a little bit of a higher risk, um, at, at risk of potentially not being able to remain safe in the home, we connect them with other services, we connect them with their local department of aging, and we just work with them and monitor them much more carefully if they're part of our case management program. So that I think is all of our more than a meal services. And again, it just shows um, the, the, the breadth and then also how much it really can take to, to keep an individual living safely in their home. Well, you know, I immediately what comes to mind is this idea of, I, I thought it literally was knock on the door, here's your food, gotta go. That really is what I thought Meals on Wheels was until I was introduced to you guys about five years ago. Yeah, that's how long I've I've known of your excellent work, especially the doggy program. Yay. <laughs> but I guess my my biggest question from all that is um maybe and this might be for Bill, but you know, that sounds like a lot of time and money to put all this together. Have you found that people like to contribute when they can? Oh, certainly. I think um, you know, I mentioned earlier the volunteers and and that's part of the, the contributions. Like I said, we had uh, almost 3,000 registered volunteers and they go through a, uh, a training and a certification process depending on what activity they volunteer for. Obviously, we have financial contributors as well, but I'll give a little more detail about, about volunteers um, first. The meal delivery volunteers are our largest group and they typically uh, might do weekly or twice a month uh, and they will go to a particular distribution site. Uh, we have 20 distribution sites throughout. So the, the, the trucks, the vans that I mentioned earlier, go from our headquarters to a distribution site. And we have a, a site coordinator, part-time employee, which is, I believe, how Margo started with the organization. And so that might be a church. It might be a senior center. And they, the site coordinator works with the van driver to make sure that everybody gets the right meals and the client list that they're delivering to that day. We did go to uh, electronic delivery route management 
So your delivery route, your client's name and address and information is on your cell phone. Uh, if you don't have a cell phone, we have tablets that we um, provide. And that way, you know, we can confirm delivery when the delivery is made. And if there's an issue, uh, there is an option. There's on, on the app in the phone called a client change of condition, where uh, the volunteer can report a change of condition. Now, if it's an if it's an emergency situation, the clients are trained to call nine one one, and that does happen. Not often, thank goodness, but occasionally, and we have intervened at critical times for clients. But um, if it's something more like a a condition of the home that might need to be addressed, or or some other issue that they think we might be able to assist with, that's communicated through the mobile app and actually goes to Margo's team where they triage it for response. So uh, that's an aspect of that additional service and that connection beyond you know, the meal delivery. So that, that those, that's what meal delivery volunteers will do. And that's our largest group of volunteers. Uh, we also have people who come in to help pack the meals. You know, there's there's uh, 2,300 clients being served. They're each getting two meals. That's almost 5,000 meals plus congregate going out. And so there's need uh, in our kitchen, which is an amazing facility. We have an outside uh, vendor who specializes in senior nutrition meals that work the kitchen, but are supplemented by volunteers. So they'll come in and they'll pack fruit or they'll pack bread or they'll you know, help assemble trays or, or what have you. And we get corporate groups who come in as team building exercises. We get other groups that come in. We have disability groups who, who help as well, uh, which is a terrific service on both sides. Uh, good for us and good for them. We have an excellent volunteer program called our Teen Ambassador Program, which is a summer program where we have high school students come in. And they not only volunteer and perform service activities, they also learn. We, put a, we have a curriculum of uh, learning uh, modules for them to learn about uh, nonprofits, whether it's, you know, what Margo's team does or uh, fundraising or uh, just, you know, administrative leadership. So they really get to see a full picture. And that way, you know, we try to accommodate anybody who wants to give time in any way. Uh, it's especially wonderful if you can deliver meals in your neighborhood uh, because it really builds from the grassroots in the community. But we find that people are always interested in trying to fit that in. It can be challenging for people to deliver meals in the middle of the day if you're working. Um, you know, you probably need about a two-hour window, and we do need a regular commitment. We find that some corporate groups will do that. They'll do what we call a lunch bunch, and they'll get a group of, you know, 10 or 12 employees, and they'll rotate. And it'll be two people on this particular week and two people on another week. And that's a great way, you know, to engage as a volunteer. So, yeah, we find because the nature of the service is so direct. Uh, it is just a wonderful feeling to be able to deliver a meal. Or, you know, when you do a team building exercise and you, you know, you sit down at, at a table afterwards and say, wow, we, we you know, we put bread in the, you know, uh, meal trays of 2,000 people today. You know, we count them up. We give them that, that impact. So, so sometimes I think, you know, when you want to volunteer, you know, you want to know that your time is being well used and appreciated. So if you come to Meals Only with such a member, you're certainly going to have that experience. Do you have to be a specific, because you said teens, do you have to be like 15 and older to, to volunteer? Do you have to be accompanied by an adult if you're still legally a minor? Like, what's the deal with that? I know there are standards and high school for TAP, for the Teen Ambassador Program, I'm fairly certain rising sophomore and above is generally what we're looking for. And there is an age standard. Um, I believe teenagers have to be accompanied by adults on deliveries. I know we've had middle school groups, uh, but I think eighth grade 
uh, or so uh, volunteering in the kitchen because there are, you know, obviously some standards that have to be met to work in the kitchen. And then there are some standards that have to be met for meal delivery because um, you're entering people's homes. So we perform a background check on all of our volunteers. That's part of the certification process. We have to have the interests of our clients put first so that we're not just going to send someone into their home uh, if we haven't got a full background check. Having said that, if there's a group that's too young or for some other reason can't quite fit into those, you know, those different categories, we have service projects. Um, people will do groups will do what we call mugs of love, which is they take a, you know, a basic coffee mug. Usually it's a corporate branded logo, um, but not <laughs> always. And they'll put, you know, some nice treats in there and maybe do a card. So around Valentine's Day, you know, we'll have mugs of love that we can send out to clients with Valentine's Day wishes or holiday wishes, you know, during different seasonal holidays. And that's a nice add on. And, and it's a nice activity, again, you know, for like a grade school group, which is often uh, what we would get, you know, especially, especially around the holidays. So there's almost always a, a way for us to accommodate uh, a volunteer who wants to give some time. Uh, and we have a great volunteer support services team. That, that works, you know, across a lot of different populations uh, to do that. Have you ever had somebody who's on Meals on Wheels want to do, like, say, the phone check-in? Like, hey, I really appreciated the service. I want to volunteer and do that. Can I do it from my home, you know? Yeah, that's, that's uh, you're, you're exactly right. Your instincts are right. So we find that many, many clients also want to help themselves. Um, they want to give back, but also uh, people, you know, want to stay busy. They want to have something to be passionate about. They want to have something that makes them feel like motivated and happy to wake up in the morning. So uh, the you, your mention of phone calls is is correct. That's the program where we found out that the most, and even the origins of what is now our call connections program started a lot as clients being matched to call each other and have those friendly conversations. So you're exactly right. And also that's the, the great thing about the flexibility of all the different options from delivery to phone calls, because you're able to accommodate many different kinds of volunteers. When I picture Meals on Wheels, I picture just senior citizens, but is there like a, because I know food insecurity is a huge thing. Is that food insecurity only hitting seniors? Is that is that who you serve? Or do you serve like, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to ask you pretty soon, like, what's the process to get started? But yeah, so tell me, do you do you serve just seniors or? No, uh, is the short answer. Um, no is the but, short answer. <laughs> but uh, mostly is the short, slightly longer answer. Most of our clients are seniors. And that's that's primarily because of our our primary funding source, which is from the federal government. And this will get to another question that, or an assumption that people make that Meals on Wheels is free. It's not free. We are uh, subsidized by money from the federal government through the various counties that I mentioned earlier. But that subsidy, that um, Older Americans Act, which started in the 1960s, um, the Title Three c funding, is what we get for home delivered meals, does not cover the cost. So that's where the grants that I work on or the uh, public individual contributions come in. That funding is largely restricted, as we said, Older Americans Act to people over 60. However, it's not entirely. So we will serve anyone who demonstrates food insecurity uh, defined as an inability. Margo's going to correct me on this because I don't always get it right. Defined as an inability to access food for any number of reasons. 
it could be mobility, and that mobility could be um, a result of age. It could be economic. They, it could be access. They might live in a food desert. Uh, it could be temporary, as in someone who is uh, recovering from um, hospitalization or, or medical treatment. Uh, it could be a more permanent condition. Uh, so it's a pretty open door uh, that we offer. The challenge for us then becomes, okay, uh, this is a person who is eligible by our very broad definition, uh, and then how do we fund their participation um, so that we can get them on service? So we will go through a pretty rigorous, well, rigorous for us, uh, but I think very accessible for the client um, uh, enrollment process to determine eligibility, you know, what, what, what services they need. Uh, and then what their financial status is, whether we determine that they might be able to make a contribution, uh, or if not, how we can uh, determine which funding sources uh, they're eligible for to, to get them on service. So I don't know if, Margaret, if you want to go through the uh, the enrollment process, uh, might be helpful. So we do have a few different ways to apply for service. Whichever method you use is going to get you in touch with our client engagement team. And so they are very experienced in talking to people. They're, they're, they're ready at the phones and computers waiting to do um, intake and to get people's service started, usually pretty promptly. Once you call, um, if we get through the process, we're able to get uh, food at your door within about 48 hours. So we do have an application that you can fill out um, online at our website, mealsonwheelsmd.org. Uh, but I will say that ease of access is something that is tremendously important to us. And we know that throughout the communities we serve, people might not have computers, smartphones, or internet access. And so many, 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 it, most really of our applications just come through our phone line. And so our main phone line of 410-558-0827, again, puts you in touch with that client engagement team. Uh, how long it takes and how much information we need goes back to uh, mostly what Bill was saying about different funding sources and where they come from and what's available and what you qualify for based on your age. Uh, uh, but it's usually pretty basic. Your address, going over the, the process of when the meals might arrive and are you home and how many days a week do you want meals? Um, do you want any of our special diets? We do have a few of those like a no fish diet, a no pork diet. Um, texture modified for blended food. Um, some clients receive um, frozen uh, frozen meals, a box of food once a week instead of that daily hot and cold. So your client engagement specialist will talk you through some of that as well. Um, but again, either by applying online or on the phone, we're able to get meals um, to people uh, pretty quickly once we get through that part of it. 48-hour turnaround is not bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, we're that's pretty we're fast. I mean, like, yeah. is there smoke coming out of those keyboards? Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, and the phone lines. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But yes. you have to you have to appreciate the urgency of the need. I mean, when someone yeah. comes to us, it's it's not because they think in a couple of days they might be out of food. You know, they they are out of food now. Um, so we need to get to them as soon as possible. And, and just to give you some idea. Um, you know, statistically, most of our clients are over the age of 60. I would say more than 90%, uh, somewhere in the probably 8% range or under age 60. So in terms of how many that is over the course of the year, it's probably about 400. So it's a, it's a significant number um, yeah. individually, uh, percentage-wise, 
uh, again, because of, of the funding sources, uh, most of our clients are, are over 60 and actually you know, most of them are over 70. Uh, and that's one of the concerns I think that people certainly need to be aware of. Actually, last year we had 31 clients uh, 100 years old or older, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and we do, we have done 100 year birthday parties uh, at times uh, for clients, which is really wonderful. Uh, but one of the things that we really need to be focused on uh, as we look out further is the demographic trend and the aging of the population. And we know that as the baby, baby boomer generation ages, that group of people over 60, over 70 is going to grow significantly. And so we need to be prepared for a greater need um, for these you know, services uh, and understanding also that you know, somebody at 60 is different from somebody at 100. And so right. we have to appreciate the range of need within that, that spectrum. And, uh, you know, there are a fair number of our volunteers who, you know, are older because, as I said, of the time needed during the day might be retired, uh, who can see themselves moving into the age of where more of our clients are that might be, might be in need of services. So it's an important consideration, uh, you know, demographically. And I think there's some awareness on it. Certainly Meals on Wheels America uh, does a lot of work to make sure that there's an awareness nationally and you know, and in the government of this is coming, this wave, um, there, there's nothing that's going to stop it. And so we need to start thinking ahead about how to solve these future challenges. So that, well, that brings me back to food insecurity. As people age and they are trying to stay home, are you finding that um, you're getting more and more demand for uh, for the food because there is more food insecurity. I know Baltimore has, Baltimore is considered a food desert in some, by some standards. Um, for those who don't know, a food desert means that there's a limited or no access to fresh food. Um, right. And we, and we find that that's something that is extremely local. So, um, you know, if you go to the location of, there's a Harris Teeter, just a few blocks from our office, there's also a Whole Foods and a Safeway. And they're all almost within walking distance of one another. However, you go to another neighborhood and you won't find any grocery store except the corner store for a couple of, you know, for blocks and blocks. So they're, they're hyper local, the food deserts. There are some areas in Baltimore that have plenty of grocery stores, but there are many that have none. So, yeah, the food desert, food access is definitely an issue. The larger question of food insecurity, I think, like, you know, a lot of questions uh, these days have to be considered in terms of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. What we found was that for our people, the seniors, who's mostly who we serve, it was extraordinarily disruptive because when we closed the senior centers in order to protect people, in order to keep people safe and isolated from one another because of the spread of COVID-19, you know, before, before vaccines and before treatments, the basic prevention was you know, stay away from everyone. Uh, so senior centers were closed and people would go to senior centers every day to eat their meals. And suddenly they couldn't go there. And so we took on um, more than 2,000 additional clients in the first year of COVID. We had served just over 3,000 clients uh, in our fiscal year 2019. So the year ending July 29, June, June 2019. March 2020 rolls around, suddenly senior centers close and we need to feed people. 
Now we ramped up. We were doing about 25,000 meals a week before that. Ended up about 1.2, 1.3 million meals on the year. In March of 2020, we were notified. Not we were notified. We were obviously aware something. We had to do something. So we ramped up. We changed our our model. We went to a frozen delivery, and we went from 25,000 meals to 75,000 meals. Most of those people per week. Most of those people we added were in Baltimore City. Of those 2,000 clients that we added over the course of that year, and so what we found obviously, was that there was a tremendous need that was really laid bare. The greatest challenge is that as the pandemic has, quote unquote, ended, you know, today, I think, is the CDC has declared the global uh, crisis over. And so as people emerge, right, I see your air quotes, right? (laughs) As people emerge from the pandemic, the people who we serve are more challenged to emerge. the, The pandemic was more disruptive for them and it's harder for them to get back because the health impact of that isolation is extremely challenging and because of the resilience is not as available you know, for someone who's older. It's a little harder to, to bounce back, a lot harder. Um, so, so it's been a real challenge there. So food insecurity that was um, increased during the pandemic has been slower. It's been slower to recover. So yeah, it is, it is a tremendous challenge. So one of the things that we did was prior to pandemic, we were serving about 1,800 clients a day. And as we came into our fiscal year 22, we committed to maintaining this increase that we had achieved of 2,300. So that's, you know, that's almost a, a 30% increase. And if you talk to any business about growing their primary you know, product by 30% uh, and maintaining that, and oh, by the way, the more people we add, the more money it costs us. So it's not like we're growing the business in order to increase you know, the, the bottom line. So it, it's been a real challenge, uh, but we know that food insecurity uh, is, is a critical problem. We know the health impact of it and the importance of trying to address it. So we just, we intend to, re- to direct as many resources and raise as many resources to combat that because we know what the health impacts are. Uh, Margot's team was part of a study with Johns Hopkins uh, Baby Hospital that over, I can't remember what the course was, I think it was over an 18-month period, People who are on daily meal delivery, we monitored them daily by survey, their claims for intensive care were reduced by one million. So we know the impact uh, that it can have. And that's, that's, if we can help you stay out of the hospital, stay out of the emergency, stay out of intensive care, then we can save a tremendous amount of, of resources for you know, preventive treatment. And that's, that's one of the things that, as we look at this demographic trend, we're trying to raise awareness on If we can find more funding, as I say, upstream, if we can do more preventive care and keep that initial you know, traumatic event, whether it's a fall or some other um, you know, health crisis, we can keep that at bay. Uh, we can be a much healthier and much uh, more prosperous you know, community. Mark, I don't know if you want to talk more about um, the Together in Care program, or actually, I feel like I... I rambled a little bit there. Sorry about that. No, it's good. It's good because, um, you know, when I think of the impact of food insecurity, I'm thinking of the immediate impact. My last job, I was in Mississippi. So when we talked about food insecurity, we talked about uh, the immediate impact. And it's it's really refreshing to hear this long-term impact where it, it, you know, could keep people out of the hospital. You know, so that's, that's a really interesting perspective. Thank you for sharing it. 
Well, I think you mentioned when you introduced Margot, you mentioned social determinants of health, and that's understanding factors beyond medicine and medical treatment and, you know, going to see the doctor, health impact and food uh, security, a major social determinant of health. And social isolation is another one. You know, when Margot was talking about the Call Connections program and the, the impact of isolation, we have studies now, we, there are more and more of them that have shown that social isolation, loneliness, uh, can be as harmful to your health as obesity or smoking. Like the impact of loneliness is the same uh, or worse than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So, and that's a, that is a demonstrated studied fact. And so that is impacting uh, these decisions about how you provide these services as well. And there's going to be more studies on that because of the pandemic. You think about all the isolation time people had. We're just, we're just learning what the mental health impacts of that. So it's not just the meal. It's more than a meal. It's that, it's that, personal conversation and that, that connection. The more we can connect people, uh, the more impact we'll have. Well, and I think that's why um, it's so important, some of the other services, the call connection, the, the keeping your animal companion in the home are so important and need to be highlighted because, you know, I have, I have four amazing stepchildren and um, the isolation was horrible for them. But what's more is, you know, we had, we had animals, so they, they have, you know, we have two dogs and two cats. They were like, oh, okay, well, we've got somebody to play with that, that connection was there. So I want to, I want to hop back to something you said a little earlier that kind of dovetails into what you were saying, that your volunteers can report change in condition. So I'm assuming that there are other issues in aging. There are other issues that you and you said even earlier in the podcast that um, if you don't have the resources, you direct them to people who do. So can you kind of uh, explain how that process would work? It is the app that we use when meals are delivered allows you to report your concerns, most importantly, in real time. So we are literally sitting there watching them come in as they're submitted. And you are exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. We, we even categorize them in terms of those same social issues, right? Is there something going on in the, the safety of the home? Um, do they need a railing at the front steps, which might even potentially be a risk for the volunteer delivering the meal? Um, did the client want to talk for a really long time so they might seem isolated? Uh, they would report that. Um, does the client express a concern? You know, a client, uh, as they get to know a volunteer, they see them regularly, they might share something about their financial situation. Maybe their electricity is at risk of being cut off um, or other things that they're willing to share. So the person who delivers the meal um, is able to categorize and then also type in comments of, of exactly what they're seeing or what they heard. And then we respond to it um, in real time. We're, we're watching them come in. Bill used the word triage. That's exactly right. Um, because some things are naturally going to be more, more urgent for health and safety than others. And then we have a, a, a pretty efficient system of, of how to process them based on what the need is. And so there are many things that can link directly to our more than a meal services. So there are many clients who, if they're experiencing isolation, they might be a perfect fit for our call connections program. 
if it's something that is not one of our more than a meal services, it's not a service that we have in-house. I'll use the example that comes up often. They need some personal help in the home. So some help with personal care, cleaning, whatever it might be. That's not something that we we as Meals on Wheels uh, have available, but we know who does. And often that's the Department of Aging. And so we're able to make that link. Um, and, th- and that's really important. It's, it's wonderful that those services are out there, but we are often reminded that if we did not show up at that door, that perhaps that concern would have never been expressed. It would have never been communicated. It certainly would never have gone to anyone who would have known where to send that client. And so even though we're, we're, we're just making that link, I never wanted to, to diminish that because that may not have happened if it weren't for the trust between the client and the person delivering the meal, the, the, the relationship they might have built or their trust in Meals on Wheels, that they're, they're willing to share what's going on and that we're then able to help the client through the process of making that connection, whether it's submitting an online application on their behalf. Um, if they're willing, maybe getting on a three-way call with them to make sure they really get through that phone call and get someone on the phone and, and get the process started. But yeah, we're really, um, really excited that that, that that technology is available to us now because it wasn't always in my time at Meals on Wheels and we operated with, with pieces of paper. So this is much more efficient and in real time and we're able to respond to things very quickly. That, that almost sounds like a, a backdoor into advocacy. Because if you are helping a, a client make the connection, you are advocating on their behalf. So does Meals on Wheels, um, I, know, I know that Meals on Wheels advocates for itself. <laughs> what is the importance to Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland of advocacy for the, for the, for the client, the patron? Well, I, I would say that it's uh, very much part of what we do, it's, uh, it's phrasing that I use in, in, um, in some of our grant applications, especially because if a client is living alone, um, if a client is without family, uh, we will be an advocate for them. And also, if a client's family is out of town, uh, we're all, often able to advocate for them as well. And that is a tremendous comfort um, to the family living out of town. We, one of the great things uh, that happens here is we will get a call or a, or a letter or we'll get a voicemail and, um, you know, we will circulate that internally uh, just to make sure that everybody understands the gratitude that's expressed. And, you know, personally, for uh, as someone whose mother lives, you know, 90 minutes away from me, now my siblings live nearby, so I know she's well taken care of. But that comfort of knowing um, that your parent who is a senior is being watched out for is, you know, it's, that is priceless. So we certainly do advocate. One of the things we haven't talked very much about is uh, care coordination, which is something that we do with local health care providers. We've had pilot projects, the one I mentioned with Johns Hopkins Bayview. Uh, we have referral relationships with Sinai Hospital, with Good Samaritan Hospital, with University of Maryland Medical Center, uh, multiple um, University of Maryland uh, uh, health care facilities, St. Joseph's as well. Um, and so part of that, depending on the nature of the referral relationship, we will have members of our team who will coordinate uh, with the client and their healthcare provider. And Margaret was talking about three-way phone calls, sometimes getting on the phone with a provider just to make sure they understand a treatment plan or a prescription. So we certainly you know, advocate uh, for them in that way. Uh, in terms of larger advocacy, Margo mentioned relationships um, with departments of aging. And that, you know, that trickles up 
uh, into county executive level uh, support that we get from different counties. Um, and certainly in the state, you know, funding and state legislature, um, there's a lot of support uh, in addition to uh, the work that we do with Meals on Wheels America on the national level that then, you know, comes back down to us. But yes, we are um, certainly, as you said, advocating for ourselves uh, because the need is there. Uh, I mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the funding that we get from the federal government really partially covers, uh, and, and we talked the numbers a little bit earlier. We our annual uh, expenses are nearly $13 million, and uh, more than $3 million of that has to come from public support, whether it's individual donors, you know, people you know, giving on a monthly or annual basis, or you know, grants from corporations or foundations. And we just we build it, uh, put it together, uh, you know, looking at every door uh, we can to open access to funding, and advocacy you know, certainly is part of that. Since this is a podcast, nobody can see what I just did. So it's really funny. Um, I just gave two thumbs up because that was like the perfect answer. <laughs> you know, I'm again, I'm a huge uh, lover of the Meals on Wheels program. And I think it's I think it's great that so much more is happening behind the scenes to kind of close out and kind of wrap things up. Can you tell me how. I, I, you, you touched on this earlier, but could you go a little bit more in depth? Let's say that I have someone who might be interested in services. So first they can call you. And if you could give us that number again, that we'd appreciate it. Um, and then can you kind of walk us through the process? Yeah, happy to. So the number again is 410-558-0827. And so we do have a team um, ready at the phones. If for some reason you get the voicemail, please leave a message. You you will get a call back from a real person. I, I promise it's not an all automated system. It is all real people, but they might just simply already be on another call. So please leave a message. Uh, they're going to just go through the basics, the confirm address, phone, And I think the key is really going to be the delivery process. So understanding when the meals might show up, that that works for you, what specific days you want meals. We deliver Monday through Friday. um, But if you're not home every day, that's an option. We can talk about that and different models. Uh, And then again, if there is um, funding available, that will depend on what the financial conversation is. But it is always a good idea to be ready with your basic income and expense information. So if we can do that, uh, potentially have it handy so we can go through that part. And we will follow up um, within 30 days with a, a more fully uh, developed assessment uh, just to confirm everything. The, the key is getting the initial enrollment done, getting the meals started, and then we'll follow up within 30 days to do that more comprehensive assessment to see if there might be additional needs. And that's something that we, we try to do on an annual basis with existing clients. And just to give you some idea, there's probably about 200 or so new clients every month. Uh, so the people that Margo are talking about on the other end of the line are, are really uh, getting the work done uh, when, when we're contacted because we know uh, we know how badly this, this is needed when people come to us. Well, the platform is yours for any closing comments. Well, Margo gave the phone number. I'll, I'll give the website, mealsonwheelsmd.org. Uh, Meals on Wheels MD for Maryland, obviously, .org, because uh, we are a nonprofit. And certainly financial support is needed and, and welcome. Um, and we have a variety of 
social media platforms uh, as well. Um, so if you can give time, that's wonderful. If you can uh, give financial support, that's wonderful. Uh, if you can just spread the good word, we appreciate that as well. That was going to be my very last question. If people want to volunteer, you know, do they call that same number? Yes, you can call that same number um, and it will take you to a phone tree. So it tells you which number to press to talk about volunteering. Um, awesome. and, and again, you will you 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 will have a real person, even if you have to leave a message at first, a real person will call you back. That's always the important thing. We say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for for uh, listening once again this month. So excited to have Meals on Wheels on here. Just truly enjoying enjoying the conversation. So we will see you again next month with another podcast. So talk to you soon. This has been a presentation of the Maryland State Library Agency. For links to additional resources provided by today's presenter, please visit the show notes. For more information on MSLA or the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, visit marylandlibraries.org.